to We Are DB. I'm Danielle, joined as always by Brenton. Thanks for joining us for Honorable Mentions episode as we take the opportunity to talk about a great film that missed out on being on the IMDb's list for the best movies of all time. This month, rated at 7.9 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is Arrival. Released in 2016, starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner as the two leads, Arrival is a sci-fi psychological alien invasion film set mostly in the U.S. state of Montana. Based on the 1998 short story by Ted Chiang called Story of Your Life, the film is written for the screen by Eric Hesserer, whose next movie was the Netflix original film Bird Box, and directed by Denis Villeneuve, whose next film was Blade Runner 2049. I am very excited to talk about this movie. You really movie. like this movie, don't you? I, you asked me in our introduction episode, what do you think your favorite movie is? I think Arrival is my favorite movie. I fucking love this movie. When we first started watching movies together to try to get me more well-versed in the realm of film and in popular culture, this was one of the first movies that we watched because it came out at that time. So yeah, we, we went and saw this in cinemas. In cinemas, and it was so good. I haven't seen it since then. So I think I think I've seen it once since then. So this is your third time watching it. I think so. I don't remember when I saw it the second time, but I remember that this movie was the movie that got me excited to start watching more movies on this journey. This for us started like two or three years ago, and this for me was the real beginning of it. And after that, we watched what was that next one we watched? Uh, Eyes wide shut. And, Eyes wide shut. And yeah. You know, those two were kind of just, oh, this is so good. This It kind of got the ball rolling for me to get interested in film and movies and analyzing them and learning about them from a different perspective, which eventually, honestly, led us to making this podcast. So this was a very influential movie for me. It's interesting that you say those two first movies, I'd Wise Shut and Arrival, because they're very good movies to analyze and have a conversation about. Like, we had such a good conversation after that. About both of them. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that you... You were influenced by movies like this. Yeah, no, it's so good. I highly recommend this to anybody. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, So to start with, I want to draw back to that original conversation. I remember you saying something about you thinking Amy Adams was really well cast in this role. I think she is. I don't don't remember this conversation. You have to enlighten me. So I remember you saying something about how she was so good for this because she can act really well with her face and with emotions. So she can act through nonverbal cues, which you thought were really important in this movie. Yeah, I don't think you could have really had anyone in that role that she was playing who wouldn't be able to do those little... So you think she was like the best suited person? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say they would have to be on the same level as her. Mm-hmm. I think she just did so well. Like even that very first scene where she, like right at the beginning, she's in the lecture theater with her students and she looks she turns on the tv and sees that there's an alien thing happening yeah there's just a scene where we don't even see what's happening on the tv we're seeing her face from the perspective of the tv like we're just watching her reaction to it and that is more interesting to watch than the, the newsreel that she's watching because you get to see exactly you can see all of these these wheels spinning in her mind so what happens 
aliens invade Earth. Except they arrive. They arrive. They don't invade. There are, they're just here one day. There are 12 pods that come to Earth. Nobody knows where they're from or why they're here. And the world kind of freaks out trying to figure out what the heck are these things and why are they here. It's um, a very different alien invasion movie than what you might expect. Because a lot of these things are usually really quite violent and Hollywood blockbuster kind of films with ones with aliens in them, you know. It's either that or the other end of the spectrum where it's a comedy. You don't usually get these psychological thrillers that are about aliens. And it's more a movie about language and complex communication than it is about the aliens Oh, and that's why I find it so interesting. It's very fascinating. I remember you saying something too the first time we watched this about how you thought the way that the reaction to the invasion slash arrival was portrayed in this movie is like exactly how people would react to an alien invasion i think it's uh, for most part of it is quite set in realism and i quite like movies like that where you can oh, sort yeah. of see oh if this actually happened in today's society this is what would happen in, as a re- retaliation i don't think any of this is implausible what happened here there's no toward the there, end it gets pretty sci-fi psychological sort of stuff yeah but, apart but from that the play out up until that point like the military reactions and the way it's covered on TV and the way they recruit her and everything. I think it all would really happen. Yes, you would employ a professional linguist. Like you don't usually see a linguist in a movie like this. Obviously, you got Jeremy Renner's character who is a, a scientist. He's a physicist. They're trying to figure out how to communicate with these aliens, which is why they employ Louise Banks, who is Amy Adams' character, because she's... A doctor of linguistics. She's one of the best. She's definitely the best in the U.S. Yeah, at what if she not does. the world. So she's brought right away to the base camp underneath the pod. Is that what they call it? Do they call it the pod? The ship? Yeah, I think they're pods. Yeah. Because it's really quite set in realism and the reaction is quite accurate to what actually could happen in this situation, I think the movie does a good job at highlighting how dumb humans are. Oh my god. It is yes. annoyingly dumb. Because you see on the newsreels the way that, that people react to this thing. They think that it's they're praying to it or they're trying to weaponize it or I they're attacking like, it. I made, like, four points to this point. Yes, like, people... I just think the way humans are portrayed in this movie, we are portrayed as so arrogant. We must be the most important things. Every military in all these countries are deployed to go deal with this thing. They've all got tanks pointed at them all the time, like... We are so arrogant to think that they must be here to hurt us. They must be. You know, like, there's no other explanation. They've got to be here to hurt us. It's like, hello. There's, like, a million other explanations, but no, we are so important that we have to think about self-preservation before anything else. Anything else. That was brought up a lot throughout the movie. At the site, they had a main coordinator. I don't know if he was... I think he was CIA. Maybe. But I was just like, man, I hate that guy because That's, he's so closed-minded. It's the point. That's the point. He's yeah. meant to play that role of the antagonist, really. Yeah. He does it very well, obviously, because I'm so riled up about it. But just all through it, I'm just thinking like, man, like the military just has no insight because there's things that come up as roadblocks and like, well, you can't do that. And she's like, well, what do you suggest? Because nothing else will work oh, well, I guess that's what we have to do then. You know what I mean? It's like, duh. Just, there's so many points. Well, it goes into that mindset of like, you don't have clearance for this. You're not military. And she, but she would have more knowledge than he does. She's like, I'm the expert you come and got. 
You know, yeah. like, like even I'm... for us, Whitaker's character who did come and get her, even he has that narrow mindset where it's just like, I don't know what's going on. Try to explain it to me in layman's terms. He's obviously the audience character where she has to explain everything to him. And Forrest Whitaker's fine in that role, but the character itself is a little played out and annoying well, that yeah, how because it, ignorant he is. You, you get to a point where you just want to start smacking yourself in the head because you're like, come on, like, I know why she's got to do that. Why can't you see why she's got to do that? You know what I mean? I think this is a beautiful film. Like, it's shot really well. Yeah, and I remember I wrote down, I said, really interesting score. It, yeah. it's It's so... I don't even know what it is. Like, it's not classic in any no, way. No, it's not. I, it's the instruments that he uses. It's very creepy, but in a very compelling, kind of interesting almost way. almost comforting way. Like, it... That first shot of the pod, and you see the clouds rolling over, and it's got that, that orchestral sound behind so it. It's just so friggin' majestic, you know? Like, it's, it's amazing. It's so creepy, yet inspiring. I think they should have got an Oscar for that. I don't it know if It did, did win Best Sound Mixing. Did it? It it was nominated for another seven. It didn't get the rest, but it, it did win for Best Sound Mixing. Well, way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Every frame of this movie looks like a professional photograph. Yeah. Particularly the opening scene, the way he uses color and symmetry and just the composition. But even then, have did you notice how the color... It mostly works in like grays and blues yep. all throughout. It's I a thought very that cooling... was like it's a very calming. I thought that was a really well. That's the point because you're meant choice. to feel comfortable with yeah. these creatures that have come and not feel anxious. If you did have those warmer colors, a lot of reds and and oranges, and it would things, definitely put you on edge. It would put you on edge, like even subconsciously, you'd be like, "I'm uncomfortable with these pr- the presence of this thing, and I don't know why." It's because the movies made you feel that way. Mm-hmm. So he's he's done the opposite approach. And I just think that was a really fantastic choice, and it just makes this film so artistic, and I really appreciate it. I really like how the first time you see the pod itself is the first time that Amy Adams' character sees it. Yeah, there's quite a few instances throughout this movie where they're really helping you out as the audience by kind of inserting the character into your shoes or inserting you into the character's shoes. Because there's a couple of scenes before she goes to Montana to see it. And as the audience, you're just like, what does it look like? What does it do? I want to see it more. Yeah, those news footages that you only see like the base of it and stuff with the lights on it. Yeah, because that's how she would be feeling. Yeah. She would be thinking, I want to go see this. I want to know what this is. And then the very first time she sees it is that daunting opening scene with that creepy music that in it the shot just lingers on it for ages well and it's such a a good shot for that because all the other places that have pods they're kind of in like really dense populated areas whereas the u.s site is just in the middle of this huge field in montana well i don't think the rest of them are dense they're they're really quite randomized a couple of them are over cities sure but one of them was over desert what another one was over say? an ocean they said they were trying to figure out if there was any rhyme or reason to their choices and the only thing any of these places had in common is that they had a hit song by the same artist in like 1983 or something like that. I think that was a joke. I'm not it really was sure. a joke, but it's just like the point was that they were there, there was no rhyme or reason. Well, going back to putting this movie in realism compared to a lot of other alien movies, it does seem randomized around the world. Like it didn't just go to New York or 
Los Angeles, you know what I mean? And destroy London or something like that and blow up all the landmarks like you see in these movies. It's very cliche. They just chucked a bunch of marbles on the planet and said, this is where we're landing. And I feel like that could be the way an uh, alien pods would do something like this. And I really like that about it because it is randomized. We're not the most important thing about this planet. Exactly. It was focusing less on the aliens and it was focusing more on what would actually happen all throughout. I think Jeremy Renner is perfectly fine in this role. I really quite like him. Oh, I quite liked him too. But I feel like that role could have been played by anyone. Like it was kind of a throwaway kind of role. Yeah, I was wanting to protest, but no, I think you're right. He's he's fine. He's perfectly fine. I actually really quite like roles like this of his more than some of the other big blockbuster things that he does. Because for a long time, I felt like Jeremy Renner's career, he didn't really pave his own way. He was always just like jumping onto franchises like Mission Impossible and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and even the Bourne Identity. He did like a bunch of reboots and, and spin-offs and sequels and things. So I'm really more attracted to these roles of his career than some of those ones because you get to see... Yeah, you get to see who is this character that he's creating himself, basically. You get you get given a script with this character and you get a rough guideline, but he gets to make it his own and not what a comic book has said that he is. You know what I mean? Like, I really quite like these performances of his yeah. more than anything. I'm trying to think of, like, why I liked him so much in this role, and I think it's because he and Amy Adams actually had really good character chemistry. I was just about to say he feels human. He feels real. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of other people who could play in this role. I'm like, mm, no, mm, I don't think so. They just, they mesh really well together in this. They, like you say, they both feel like just really regular average people. Yeah. You know what I mean? They and, do have good chemistry and it yeah. really works really well because most of the movie is just focusing on them and their relationship. Yeah. I think he does have a typically female role in these kind of things you don't usually have the main character in this as being the strong woman and then the side character who's just sort of there to present feedback is the man so it's, you're, you're saying they're kind of swapping they kind of swapped but roles, i don't think yeah. it would be nearly as interesting if you're following a man around this whole well, time because it's so typical it is it's like okay kind of boring but and that's why two things here that's why it makes it so compelling is because she's coming at this approach to this problem, this we need to figure out why they're here and what they want and how to talk to them problem from two angles. One, she's a woman surrounded by a bunch of military men. So number one, she's going to think completely differently from them. And number two, she's a linguist. She's not a physicist. She's not an engineer. You know, she's not a doctor. She's a linguist. She studies the humanities. So those two things, I think, really drive her and allow her to look at things from a completely different perspective from everybody else who's surrounding her and is what really is integral in her figuring out the problem and figuring out how to communicate with the heptapods. I just think the alien movie where the male scientist figures out a way to think differently from everyone else and solves the problem is so the old. Day. <laughs> I've seen that movie, you know, I've seen it where the strong times. female linguist comes up with it it's just i'm okay i'm on board oh amy adams is performing it i'm on you know what i mean this is a great combination well, and the fact that like the thing i love so much about this movie is that it's it's not a 
bang, bang, pow, explosion, psh, alien movie. It was like, one explosion, but that's not really. Well, but it wasn't like. I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's coming at it from a totally different, like, humanities perspective, which is so refreshing. And I'm, th- I'm thinking now I got to read this story because I think I'm going to be so for it. I think it was so well written and so interesting and just, yeah, really a breath of fresh air. Quite a lot of the scenes are actually very quiet, which you don't usually see in these. It's it's a very smart movie. It's a very quiet movie. It's a very intellectual movie. Like, this is definitely a thinker. All of those points, I think, is probably why it's not in the top 250, is because it didn't appeal to that general demographic. Or if you went into it thinking it was going to be, be Independence Day 2, yeah. then you would think, oh, okay, I, Honestly, I have to think. I think a good number of people could think this is boring. I do. I don't know how, not the first half. That first half grips me every time. Yeah. I think people would get lost in the second half because it comes into a lot of... um, Big theories. It's got big things to say. Big theories in physics, big theories in math, and big theories in language. And that's... Those are things that people generally struggle with. Yep. Um, And I mean, it does hold your hand a fair bit, but like, if you're not that way inclined, I could definitely see how you could get lost. I really think... That in the last five years or so of cinema, we're really seeing a resurgence of great artistic films. Mm. You were coming into like a new renaissance for great directors who are making a name for themselves and setting their own style. I think if you look back to the late 70s and the early 80s, you've got directors like Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg, Ridley Scott, even James Cameron, Brian De Palma. These men were really doing things that no one had really done on cinema before. And you can feel, too, that even though their styles, like, they're all completely different and this is completely different, there's something there. They're doing their own thing and they're making their own classics, really. Yeah, like, there's some essence of a similar flavor that I'm feeling with some of those older films that I've watched. And I think it's just that, like, they're not following any bandwagon of trends you know they're just they're taking something and they're creating something really fantastic with it and they're just going with it yeah and i think we're we're seeing that again with people like Denis you've got like alfonso Cuaron, who did children of man and gravity and and that new uh roma movie that came out recently there's also like christopher nolan who we know, know is very good for like inception and the dark knight trilogy interstellar you do? <laughs> I really like Christopher Well, Nolan. people like Damien Chazelle, who did Whip- Whiplash and La La Land in that new First Man movie with Ryan Gosling. There's uh, Alejandro Inarritu, who did The Revenant and Birdman, who got Best Director two years in a row. And you've got someone like Denis Villeneuve, who did Sicario and Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival. It's these handful of directors that are really shaping the way for the future. And I think in like 20 years, they'll be the Martin Scorsese and the Steven Spielberg. When you look back at their works, yes, those men are still making films now they're sort of here or there or whatever but they're still doing things that people haven't done before and i would really like to see where they go these people have really got me in a sort of mindset where i'm hooked like everything that you come out with from now on i'm gonna see it everything that christopher nolan makes or alejandro Inarritu, you know it's just these people that just make these great artistic films that are really bringing it back and i think it's films like this that are really paving the way for that can we go into spoilers? Yes. I don't think we can really talk big things about this movie until we go into the spoilers. I really thought this was going to be a situation where she's lost a child. You start the movie having these flashbacks, quote oh, unquote, yeah. of this 
the the opening montage of this movie is there's not a word said you can completely get it it almost reminds me of the opening of up where you just get these uh visuals to try and tell the story and you get this sense of exactly what's happening just from the, the storytelling. And it's really well done. So I thought it was just going to be another one of those. And that's what's motivating that's her. That's exactly what I thought it was too. But that, that's what—that's the point. He's trying to make you feel this way even though it's, it's a completely different story. I think this movie does a lot of things that I'm expecting one thing and it goes the complete opposite direction. And I love that. Yeah. So it starts out, they arrive, and then she's recruited to go be the the linguist for the american team so she goes and they start interacting with the heptapods and i really love that initial scene when they go into the pod for the first time that is so creepy can you imagine being in this situation no because gravity oh my god what is gravity we don't know do you remember jeremy renner's character he's like that just happened Yeah. yeah Well, I don't think they briefed them on anything as to no. what they're going into there because they didn't know what to expect or and, what to see. And I remember you said, like, you're like, and can you imagine being a physicist and seeing that? Yeah. Like, it would... He's like, this goes against every law I've been studying. Ever. Like, this makes no sense. And I just really wanted to bring up, too, like, every time they go into the pod, the camera angle is different. Like, initially, when they get into the main room of the pod, they're upside down, just... To show that, like, orientation means nothing. It doesn't. What you know actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, later on, like, completely scenes later, you see it and it's on that side. Yeah. I just thought that was such a nice touch to just keep changing the orientation. Because as uh, an audience member, it makes you feel discombobulated and how the characters would feel. And that's just a technique, a directorial technique that I really, really like. When the director makes the audience feel how the character feels. It does make you feel how the characters feel, but I think it also means that the humans aren't the important thing in this room. The orientation isn't adjusted just for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's determined on other things that are happening. You're just also here. So yeah. the fact that sometimes it's upside down shows that you're not as important as you think you are. And I think that's a very strong point and of I this th- whole movie as yeah, well. Yeah, I think that's a whole underlying theme which is, like we were talking about earlier, is definitely brought up throughout. So time goes on, the team makes progress in communicating with the heptapods, and they learn that their language is so fundamentally different from any human language, and it's so interesting. And there's a sequence right in the middle there with Jeremy Renner narrating that I think is really key, and if you watch this at home, Maybe listen to it a couple times if you have the opportunity to rewind it. I don't really understand. Why is the mid-movie narration? Who's he even talking to? Is he giving a briefing or something? They may well have... Like, you know how in The Martian he has to do video diaries and stuff? They may well have to do stuff like that. So it could honestly be that. I would have liked just one little shot of him sitting in front of a computer maybe doing that. So that you give context? Just give context because the movie opens out with Amy Adams doing the narration. See, and I think that's why it was okay for me that they had narration, because at that point, with Jeremy Renner's monologue, it was really integral so that the audience knew what was going on. Because you couldn't show months of advancement. No, and you're showing concepts that lay people don't understand. Like, when I watched it, I was like, what the heck? You know what I mean? I found it so interesting, but I also didn't understand it. The fact that they kind of actually spell it out for you is 
immensely helpful. And I think that with her starting the movie by narrating, it kind of sets the tone that, you know, this is a film where this is something that happens. So for me, I didn't really question it when he started narrating it. And I thought it was a good choice to have him narrate it instead of Amy because this is totally not his field. So that's how he's going to be feeling is that he's going to have to be going through it and thinking about it and processing it and okay, and this is how language works and this is how this works and mm, this is how... she already understands it, but this yeah, is him processing it. Exactly. So that's why, okay. for those two reasons, I kind of just accepted it and went with it. And all throughout, they're, they keep hitting roadblocks because she knows how to learn about language, you know, and because the she's, whole thing's a series of puzzles that they have to solve. Yeah. To solve this one and that one to solve the bigger one. With the military breathing down her neck about, well, why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing it this way, Louise? Why is it taking why? so long? Yeah, why are you doing it that How's way? How's it going to be used against us? And he's like, well, why can't you just go ask them what is your purpose on Earth? And she has to write it out on a board and spell it out for them. Okay, well, if we need to ask them a question we need to make sure they understand what a question is and then they, we need to make sure that they understand a why question that they understand whether or not like offering and accepting is something that exists in their culture and oh by the way they don't understand our culture and culture isn't universal anyway so to think that an alien could understand any human culture is just ridiculous because other humans don't understand each other's culture and just the whole underlying thing i think that was to explain to the audience, because the audience would be asking Absolutely. those questions. They'd be like, well, why can't you just ask them this? And she has to explain, well, it's not that simple. But that, for me, is what makes this so compelling and why I like it, because it's a thinker. You know yeah. what I mean? It's such a thinker, and I just find it so interesting, the whole process of it. I like that scene because she says, do they even understand a question? And it's like, oh, yeah, I, of course, they probably don't even understand a question. Like, I hadn't thought of that before. Like, another example would be, why don't you just show them an arrow to point to something? But in their culture, the arrows probably don't mean anything. Do they even understand directionality in their cognition? At all, yeah. You know what they I mean? Can, because of the orientation of the whole pod being flipped and everything being indirect to everything else. The thing, too, a really good point to make is that throughout the course of their study, they learn that their language is nonlinear and that... In thinking that way, their understanding of time is not linear. Nothing really about it is, is yeah. linear. Yeah, so directionality probably isn't a thing for them. So let me understand this. Their language and the way that they think about their language is what gives them the opportunity to think yes. non-linearly? They brought that up really... They they foreshadowed very well with Jeremy Renner inserting something in his one of his first interactions with Amy. What was his character's name? Ian. Ian right. something. Um, but he said, I read something about language where if you fully immerse yourself in a new language, your brain can actually become rewired. And that's the whole thing about this movie is that when you figure out, oh my god, she's not having flashbacks, she's having memories, but they're memories of things that haven't happened yet, and it's happening to her because her brain is being rewired because she's learning heptapod. So I was thinking that she gets the ability more the more she learns the language. Yes. So why did she have access to these flash forwards before the pods came to Earth? I don't know. And we kind of talked about that and we said the heptapods have the ability. They must have given her the gift or something. Or they knew that she would have it earlier on or have some sort of semblance of it. I don't know. Because obviously they'd be able to look forward and think... 
Well, the whole reason... This person's going to be the one who's, yeah. who's crucial. The whole reason they came to Earth was because they knew that in 3,000 years, they were going to need the help of humanity. So they needed to go to Earth to give humans the gift of their language and their way of thinking so that they're equipped to be able to help them. So toward the end of the movie where she writes the book on how to learn... Heptapod. Heptapod, and how to, how to understand it. It's really. called The Universal Language. Yeah, and, and she, she's teaching classes on it. I just want to say, I think it's so interesting, because if you're paying attention or not, their their language is written, and it's written... Like a coffee stain. Yeah, it's written in a form of circles, and I thought it was so interesting, because the symbol she's got on the cover of her book is their symbol for time. Okay. And it's present all throughout, when they actually give her the language of all the millions of little circles... Ian, he says, look at this, time's everywhere. It's in everything, you know, the symbol is everywhere. So you know that the idea of time is really centrally important to the story. If everyone understands this, or anyone who takes her class will understand the language, does that not give them the power of seeing into their own personal future, like their own personal time travel? Is there not issues that arise from that? See, and that's what I'm curious about, because when that happens, like when she thinks ahead, does it work like memories or does it work like travel? Because yeah. there's one very specific example when she's talking to her daughter, remember? And she says, Mom, what's the word for this? And it's kind of switching between those two realities. And it seems like a memory until Ian brings it up that it's a non-zero-sum game. And then she almost like flashes back to it and says, here's the answer because I just came up to it. Yeah. So does she have control of the future at all? Or is she just watching what is going to happen anyway? Because it really looked like, are you able to control it? Or is it just like watching a flashback? I think you are able to control it. And I think they're able to live non-linearly. Because you see another example of this again at the end when she's talking to General Shang, the, the Chinese leader, and she calls him. And she only realizes she has to do that when she remembers from the future. Oh, she gets the, the information from the future. So that's yeah. another When he's talking break. about when he did it in the past, yeah. Right, okay. As dumb humans with this power, I, d I just think that there's going to be a lot more problems with that then there are going to be solutions because people are greedy people are dumb people are violent and i don't even know if there's going to be a human race in three thousand years because they're all probably would have killed each other with this this powerful knowledge you know what i mean like you have to have the responsibility i don't think that information should be to the general public you know what i mean because i'm like well, how does that work and who knows if it was Right? Like, who knows if it was given to the general public or if it was only passed on to advanced linguistic scholars. We don't know. It's a very cool idea, though. Oh, God, yeah. Like, if you if you think this way, then you're going to be able to do this and see this way. Like, it's a completely different way of thinking than what we're used to. Because they even say that this language is structured not like any other language in, on this planet. And to be able to write something like that and be able to come up with... This is the idea of this movie or the short story even. This is what the language looks like. This is what it means and how you interpret it. Yeah. It's really such a big concept like, and I it's wanna, awesome. I want to get inside the author's brain and just be like, how did you do this? Because I wonder what else so he's written amazing. anything else. Yeah, the big idea that's brought up and it's kind of the climax and turning point for the movie is when Costello, one of the heptopods, says, there is no time 
many become one. That really is the thesis of this whole movie. That there is no time for heptapods in the sense that humans understand it, right? Well, you wouldn't be able to really understand that quote unless you've seen it before. You know what the twist is. Yeah. I think this is very much a movie where a second watch is going to be a lot more valuable than a first watch. Because I've, I've seen it twice. And there's some things in there knowing the ending. When you see it, you're like, oh, shit, really? Because I didn't know what it was the first time. But once you have that context, you're like, oh. Well, because the whole first time I was like, I thought her daughter died. And then I realized it took me till the end of the movie to realize not only like that her daughter hadn't died, but her daughter hadn't been born yet. And that her daughter was going to die and that she knew everything that was happening. And that was really a key moment because I'm like, wow, okay, she can do that because she's learned heptapod. So we learned that Louise and Ian eventually get together and they have a kid. But because she can see the future and she's seeing... She knows that this child's going to die of a rare disease. And yet she goes ahead and has the kid anyway with Ian. And that's supposedly what she told him. And he didn't agree. He's like, why would you bring a child into this world if you know it's going to die anyway? That just sounds like a lot of heartache for everyone. That's essentially what happened, right? Do you think she had a choice in, oh, I'm going to have to have this kid or not because I know what its fate is going to be? Or when she told him or asked him, do you think that she was just fulfilling what the destiny is, like what she already knew had to happen? See, that's, I don't know. Do you still have free will in that instance? Yeah, because is it like a fifth dimensional sort of thing? Like the alien from Men in Black who he always knows all the possibilities that are happening at any given point for any given reality. No, I know, but like that's what it kind of feels like, right? So it's like she only has one string of reality. And she even asked him at the end, she's like, if you knew like how your life was going to play out until the day that you died, would you change anything? Like she's kind of asking him What should I do here? Yeah. I think you would change things. You would live your life a completely different person with the experiences and memories and mistakes of an old man if you went to back to your 20s and, yeah. and relived your life again. I think that would be an incredible opportunity to be able to see in hindsight. Do you think you would have made that decision? If you had the choice in that position, would you have had the child for those 12 years or however old she was? See, I understand why she did it because... For her, loving that little girl and having her love was the most important thing. And um, Even if it ended with suffering? I think so. I don't know. That's a really hard question. It is, answer. and that's, yeah. that's the point. I can see both sides of the argument. I don't know where I would stand on it because my initial reaction to that question would be, yeah, of course, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, they show the shots of her as a baby and then as a as a child and you like reading stories to her and you you see the good the good times and the bad and i think that's the part that she doesn't want to miss out on maybe she keeps remembering back to those those good things because that's what she wants to hold on to mm-hmm. so i can i can see that and my first reaction would be yeah because it sounds like a great thing but you also see the bad times and i don't know if it would be worth the heartache purely because it would hurt a lot yeah. For everyone involved, like to know that that is a thing that you cannot change, it's going to happen. All of these things are sort of 
for naught, you know, her getting an education. It just shows that is it all worth it if it's just for your own opportunity to love something? You know what I mean? Like, it seems selfish because you know bringing this thing into the world is going to kill it. And that's probably where Ian's stance was. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think some of that might have been the point. Like, that love for love's sake is worth it. I don't know. I just think that I can see both sides of the argument, and I think that makes a good argument. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I also wanted to just talk briefly about how Hannah knew. There's a moment in the movie in one of these rememberings, let's just call them that, when Hannah comes to Louise and shows her a picture that she drew at school uh, about a TV show called Mommy and Daddy Talk to Animals, and there's a picture of Louise and Ian with a little bird in a cage. Yeah. Well, there's also the scene with the Play-Doh. Yeah, where she's which little was orange chilling, by people. The way. Yeah, little orange people. So people in their hazmat suits with a big kind of octopusy looking thing that's black, which would be the heptapods. So my question is, how did Hannah know? Is there some? Because she wouldn't have told her. No, but is there some part of it that it's transferred on to her because Louise has this ability? So Hannah remembers in a way. I'm just curious to know. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't remember if they really covered that. Oh, they didn't touch on it at all. How would Hannah know all of these things? I'm I'm not sure. I I don't have an answer to that. I really thought that maybe it was in the language or the memory. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I really like movies or stories in general where the ending makes you rethink everything you've just seen. And this movie is a great example of that. Yeah. It really warrants a second watch and a third watch and you see it from a different perspective every single time i really do think that this needs a second watch if you've only seen it once watch it again with that knowledge and be looking out for those things that we've discussed because i think it'll definitely enhance your experience it really will Mm. make you appreciate it more and i'd be really interested to see what what other projects the author gets up to or the director after these ones because i I really think they have a great future ahead Well, that was our discussion of Arrival, which I can decidedly say is one of my favorite movies. I very much recommend if you haven't given it a chance, definitely don't expect it to be a big gun shooting blockbuster movie. It'll make you think. I would like to announce that next month's honorable mention will be Godfather Part 3. It'll have been well over a month by the time we watch the first two, and we will take the moments to not only talk about part three, but to wrap up the entire saga and break them down individually and talk about the entire saga as it is. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or comment on SoundCloud. And until next time, thanks for listening.